So today I want to jump into the word. I thought that Jace was about to start preaching my message a little bit there for a moment. I just thought, well, you know, maybe we'll just wrap up real quick this morning and we're going to be done. And um, but I really want to just stir up in you um, really. And this is in regards to this coming weekend uh, at the beginning of the year during our 21 days. I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. Just as a way of reminder, and today I want to just continue to kind of um, build on that, if you will, uh, is that I believe that for you and for our church that this year is not just a breakthrough, that it really is a breakout. And I'll explain what, I'm, what I believe that the Lord put in my heart, what's different, is that you can make it through something and it's just kind of like, whew. all right, we made it through that struggle, we made it through that diagnosis, we made it past that financial issue whatever it may be, but a breakout is something that you never come back to. In other words, it becomes a line of like, do not return. You know, so it's a point where it's a mile marker that's just, hey, this, my life changed in this moment. Whether you realize it or not is that you had that moment if you've gotten saved. Uh, if you've really put your faith in Jesus and begin to walk with him is that that was a breakout moment. Why? Because your life began to shift and change. Let me say it this way. It should have begun to shift and change. There should have been things in your life that begin to just happen, whether you were fully aware of it or fully uh, engaged with it or not. And so I believe that this is true for you. And if you'll grab hold of it, then I believe that God will do just that in your life. In other words, the thing that there there will be struggles that you face that you will no longer face. There will be a, a, a measurable difference moving forward for you. And so this morning, I almost entitled this message called, What Do You Want? And uh, and I thought, well, that could be taken kind of negatively too, because sometimes, you know, you answer the phone and it's somebody you know, and you're like, what do you want? You know, maybe your spouse or maybe it's your kids or whatever the factors may be. Uh, but But in a good way, I actually would challenge you with that question is what do you want from God? You know, over the last Two weeks, I've been sharing with you a message called Belief for it in regards to finances. And all the, the graphics are going to look the same. This message is not the same. Uh, I was quite honestly just didn't want to change them. I'm like, eh, they look pretty good. I can go with it. And uh, so I just stayed with them. And, uh, you know, but uh, I, I want to share a story with you this morning. It's from the Old Testament. It's actually out of Second Kings. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. Um, but it comes out of Second Kings chapter 5. And, and so part of why I'm sharing this today is to challenge you and encourage you to begin to put your faith out there to believe God. And what I would say it is just to take him at his word. And this is not going to be some like revelation type message, but it is very basic, but it's also very powerful uh, if you'll grab hold of it. And, and so here in Second Kings chapter five, we have an account or a story of a man named Naaman. And Naaman is a, he's a, a general, if you will. Um, he's a military man and he's serving a king and he has great conquests and the king kind of likes him because he keeps winning. I mean, people like to hang out with winners. This guy keeps winning for the king, so the king kind of likes him. But Naaman has a problem. Specifically, he has a disease. Uh, it, it's called leprosy in America. We don't know much about it. It is, it is still alive today. It is still on the planet and places. Uh, not being too graphic about it, but it is a flesh-eating disease. Uh, it, it, and you were basically blackballed, which was kind of interesting when you begin to think about the story of Naaman is, is how is he used by the king? How is he even around the king if he has this disease? Because typically these people were outcast. They weren't even allowed to come into the city at all, and they were put out completely. And so 
I don't quite understand that part of the story, how he had all of these things, and yet he was commanding an army and all these situations, but he has this problem. And so, long story short, but the children of Israel were actually serving this king at the time, or at least portions of them were. And so the servant girl in Naaman's house says to the wife of Naaman, I wish that my master would go see the man of God because he could heal him. And so, of course, that probably piques Naaman's interest. And he's like, healing? Like, you mean I I don't have to deal with these symptoms? I don't have to deal with all of these things? And so there's a, a glimmer of hope where there probably was no hope. And you may be here this morning facing a situation, or maybe it's just a circumstance or whatever it may be, that you've lost hope in. And I want to encourage you today is that you have reason to have hope. You really do. Is it the, and, and even Jace was talking about this. Is just because something looks hopeless doesn't mean that it's over. Just because it looks like the story's done and, you know, put the period at the end, close the chapter, close the book, it's over. It doesn't mean that it's the way that it has to be. And so there's an element of faith. And so what happens here with Naaman is, is he goes to the king and he says, hey, I need some permission. I hear that there's this guy that can heal me. And so he says, hey, I'll send you. Not only am I going to let you go, I'm going to send you with a whole lot of bounty. You can go and read. I mean, it was pounds and pounds, hundreds of pounds of gold and silver and clothing. And he said, go to the king of Israel and he'll heal you. So he goes and the king of Israel is like, who am I? I can't heal anything. The Bible says he tears his garments which is a way of kind of, it's a bit of, in the Old Testament, people would do that, as we would call it repentance, a tearing of our heart. They did it physically with their garments, right? And so he tears his garments as a way of like, basically saying, I don't want to blaspheme God because this guy came to heal me, or came to get healed by me. He says, but who am I? I can't do anything. And yet the prophet Elijah, which prophets in the Old Testament were just chosen by God, They were powerful men of God, and they did all kinds of miraculous things. But he gets wind that Naaman has come to the king. And so in verse 8, he says, uh, When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he waited at the door of Elijah's house. In other words, he's like, hey, this guy couldn't do anything, but the, the servant girl didn't tell me to go see the king. The servant girl told me to go see the prophet, and now the prophet is telling me to come, and so, man, I'm going to get my healing. So he goes up, and he knocks on the door. And my assumption is he probably knocked again. He's probably getting impatient and frustrated. He said, man, where is this guy? If he, if he told me to come to his house, he shouldn't be rude. He should come and meet me. And it goes on here and it says, but Elijah sent a messenger down with this message. In other words, he didn't even bother to get up off the couch. If you're sick and you know that somebody has the ability to cure an incurable disease and they won't even get up off the couch to come meet you, Are you going to be frustrated? Because I would be. And instead of him coming down, he just sends a messenger and just says, hey, with some instructions. Here's the instructions. He says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Says, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Is this not what Naaman came for? He came to be healed. 
He came for this purpose. He, he, he got word that there was this man named Elisha who, who could perform miracles, who could do all of these things. And, and yet Elisha wouldn't get off his rear end to come meet him. And it says here, but Naaman became angry and stalked away. In other words, he began to leave. He, be, he got so frustrated. But yet, did he not get the answer to the thing that he came seeking? What were the instructions? Go dip yourself in the river. So he got his answer, but he didn't like the answer that he received, even though it's the answer that he wanted. How many times do we do that with God? That we get our answer, it just didn't come the way that we wanted, and then we get frustrated. And then we lose hope, and we, it begins to compromise and erode our faith, Right? And so it says here that, that Naaman becomes angry and stalks away. And this is why. He says, I thought. See, we can get in trouble sometimes when we begin to think too much. I know I'm the only one guilty of this. That I try to write my own story. I try to write my own narratives. I try to put God in the box and say, this is the way that God's going to do it. And he says, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. At the very least. This man of God should have walked down the stairs to at least say hello. And he, then he goes on, he says, and I expected him to wave his hand over my leprosy. Now you have to understand why that was so. So he thought and he expected. How often do we do this? That we have an unmet expectation which leads us to disappointment and yet God's word or God's promise to us has never changed. It's just our expectation was left unmet and therefore we begin to question. We begin to pull back and be like, well, maybe that's not true for me. Maybe that's true for somebody else. It's just not true for me. And, and the reason even what it says here is significant and I'll use a, 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 something that we'll understand, is that with other healers of the day, in ours we could call it like voodoo, is they would come out and they would, they would chant things and wave their hands over the affected area. So if you had a sore here, they wouldn't wave their hand over your head, they would wave it over your arm because that, they're trying, that was their way and that was their understanding. And this was Naaman's understanding of how healing came. So he thought, if this guy's going to heal me, he's got to do it the same way. But if you remember what Elijah said was that today, Naaman's going to find out that there is a real God. It's not the God of the waving of the hand. And it's not the God of somebody showing up and making a show of this. It's he's going to find out that there's actually a real God in Israel. And so he thinks in his head, and so he has this expectation that, you know, how can he wave his hand on me if he don't even get off his rear end? And yet it says, um, and he said that he would wave his hand over and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. And then he gets in the flesh, which I know we never do. Because God may give us an instruction, God may drop a little whisper, and then we want to start reason why that ain't going to work. I know none of you have ever argued with God. None of you have ever questioned him on anything ever. I do often. And I'm like, God, why? 
Why has it got to be like this? Why has it got to be like that? What, what about this? God, did you, th- I don't know if you thought about this. Do you know that person's attitude? Like, I know what you said to say to them, but I know the response I'm going to get. And so I need to say it a little different. And so I try to barter with God to do it a different way, a way that might be a little more pleasing to me and in my mind better. And so it goes on, it says that Naaman says, aren't the rivers in Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than the rivers of Israel? Because it wasn't just any river in Israel, it was the Jordan River, which in Louisiana, we understand this because we don't have rock bottom rivers. We have mud bottom rivers. And how many of you know that our rivers don't look very clean? I grew up in North Louisiana with the Red River. Why? Because the bed is mostly made of clay. And that clay has a reddish tint to it. And if you've ever had to dig through it, it's like digging through concrete. But it turns the river this crazy, dark, dark, orangish color that you can't see your hand a few inches under the water. I used to ski in this water. It was awesome. With who knows what floating in it. You don't know because you can't see it. And so even in this. Naaman is, is making his, his reasoning. Why couldn't I go to Damascus where the rivers are clean? Where I can see like it makes sense. Why would I go to dirty water to get healed? And, and, and so he's reasoning all this away. He even says that, man, these rivers are better. He said, why shouldn't I wash in them? And it says, and Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Now I'll remind you, why did Naaman come to Elijah? To get healed. And what did Elijah tell him? Go dip in the river and you will be healed. So in a sense, he got what he came for. He just didn't like the delivery. And because he didn't like the delivery, he didn't like the message more specifically. He didn't like the messenger. He begins to leave frustrated. The Bible doesn't say he was frustrated. The Bible says he was in a rage. He was beside himself. And yet he was walking away from the provision of what he wanted. See, I believe that many times our expectations aren't met and we begin to become frustrated. And in the state of frustration, we begin to question. We begin to reason. We begin to ask everybody else's opinion. Hey, if you were me, would you do? Like, we, we don't see this that Naaman did this, but, and I don't think that he did. But I know for me, if, I, if I'm not really satisfied with something that the Lord drops in my heart, I'll begin to ask other people what they think. Do you think the Lord would really tell me this? Could this really be? Doesn't really sound like it to me, but you know, I'm going to put it before you just in case. But see, here's the thing. The Bible actually tells us that when we hear from the Lord, that we're actually, and, and, and you have to take this with, in context of what is being said, it actually tells us that we're not to confer. In other words, we're not supposed to get everybody else's opinions. 
says that we, once we hear from the Lord, we no longer go and, and, and confer with flesh and blood. In other words, if God's word says that I'm healed, I don't need to go talk to five people to tell me why I can't be healed. Why? Because they will rob me of the faith that came when God spoke. And so many times we want to make an out for God. Well, you know, God heals, but it, 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 God moves, God works. But, you know, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. He's just sovereign like this. We throw words around like that. We, we want to make like an escape clause for God. But you know that God is actually bound to his word. Because if he doesn't do what his word says, that makes him a liar. And the Bible says that he is not a man that he would lie but that he watches over his word to perform. And it doesn't matter if it's in regards to healing, in regards to finances, in regard to family. It doesn't matter what it is. If God said it in his word, he is committed to doing it. It's not that he has to do it. He wants to do it. And yet so many times we can talk ourselves out of what God has promised us in his word. And that's exactly what Naaman is doing in this moment. It picks up in verse 13. And this is where uh, it's just a great example of why you need people in your life. You need good people in your life to keep you in check. I definitely need people in my life to keep me in check. And it says, but one of his officers tried to reason with him. You ever tried to reason with somebody that was beside themselves? Kind of hard, isn't it? And yet he's trying to help Naaman not really miss out on what God had for him. And it says, sir... If the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? In other words, the instruction was so simple that Naaman was mad about it. And here's what I want you to hear today is that most, almost all of the word of God is so simple that it's annoying. It really is. Serving God is not nearly as complicated as we make it out. Because we like hard. Like, give me that mountain and let me climb the mountain so I can deserve what I get from God. Let me do all of these steps. Let me bear this cross, the weight of this thing. And yet, Jesus is saying, just go dip in the river. Like, no, 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 you don't know my past. You don't know all the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I've thought. You don't know the things that I've said. You, you don't know all of these things. I've got to pay a price for my sins. Why pay a price for something that's already been paid for? I mean, I, I'll give you an example. This is kind of a funny one, but I'm sure most of us have probably been in a dinner where somebody is going to just pay the tab for the table and people want to start arguing about who's going to pay the tab. I'm like, brother, bless you. If you want to take it, you can have it. I ain't fighting you for it. Like, I'm just not going to do that. I have seen men get in verbal spats back and forth about who's going to pay the bill. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing to me. I'm like, whatever. I'm going to pray that there's a blessing upon you and I will take the blessing. Thank you. But so many times we, we want hard. We want to make it hard. And I believe many times we make it much harder than it should be. And it's actually in our effort that we begin to mess it all up. I really believe that. Is that I have to learn that I am just a receiver of the grace of God. I mean, 
grace by definition is it's unmerited. It's undeserved. There's nothing I can do to earn the grace of God as much as I would like to try. It's futile. And, and, and so here I believe that it's such a powerful statement that this officer makes. He says, hey, Naaman, I know you. I've been around you. If he would have told you, go kill a thousand goats and bring me their bodies, we would have had it done before lunch. And we would have the thousand goats here. If he would have asked you for something challenging to go conquer a land, we would be conquering right now. You wouldn't have hesitated to go do the hard thing, but yet you're missing the easy thing right in front of you. That's actually the answer to what you came here for. So the officer continues and says, so you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman relents, says that he went down to the Jordan and he dipped himself seven times. Why seven? There's lots of theories. Seven is the number of covenant. Seven is the number of completion. I don't know that the number matters as much as the obedience to just do what he was told. Look, we're human beings and one thing we don't like being is being told what to do. Anybody like being told what to do? Not a hand went up in the room. Shocker. We don't like being told what to do. It's just, I mean, it's our human nature. It's, our, it's just that flesh that just says, I'm not going to do it. You tell me seven, I'll do six or I'll do eight, but I ain't doing seven. But yet, where was, but where was the promise? The promise of healing was at seven. Now, people can be all theological and break it down why seven matters. I'm telling you, it's not about the number. I mean, I do think there are numbers in Scripture that we see. I mean, Jace mentioned a minute ago, walk around the walls of Jericho seven days. On the last day, seven times. Well, what's significant about seven? Get on Google, you can go figure out your own theory. I think it's more about the obedience factor than it is doing the number. I mean, there's three, there's seven, there's 21, there's 40. I mean, there's lots of numbers throughout Scripture that we see as patterns. Why do we do a 21-day fast? Because Daniel did it for 21 days. That's why. Good enough for Daniel, good enough for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> work for him, should work for us, you know? I mean, and I, let me just do a little spoiler for you, by the way. They say that, you, you know, for years and years and years, they say, oh, you can form a habit in 21 days. That's not true. It's actually much longer than that. Like in the 45 to 60 day range, not 21. Now, 21, you can't get to 40 without getting to 21, though. I know that. So, but Naaman goes and he dips himself in this nasty, dirty Louisiana water. Says that the man of God had instructed him. In other words, told him what to do. Naaman was used to giving instructions, not taking them. Says the Naaman, or I'm sorry, it says, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. Now, we have no idea how long Naaman was sick. No clue. But we do know this. If you had a flesh-eating disease, it would dominate your all day every day. 
You would be very aware of it. And all of a sudden, he gets dipped into this dirty water that he thought was too nasty to get dipped in. And yet he came up and he had brand new skin. See, part of leprosy is it robs you of things like your ears begin to just disappear, your nose, places of soft cartilage, your skin and your fingers, even your extremities. See, when it says that he was healed, it means all that was restored like he had never had leprosy. Totally brand new. Sounds a whole lot like sin and salvation, doesn't it? Maybe this is a picture for us. Is that God wants to restore everything that the devil stole from us. But all we got to do is just obey the word of God. We got to obey the instructions, right? So he gets healed and then it says that Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God, Elisha. It says they stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now if you remember what Elijah said, he said, today, Naaman's going to find out there's a God in Israel. And yet Naaman even goes a step further and says, hey, there's only one God in all the world. And he lives in Israel. See, Naaman had a moment and we have a moment. We've already established none of us like being told what to do. And yet the Bible is full of instructions on how to live. And how to be, how to receive from God. What he has for us. And we want to complicate it. We want, you know, 19 steps to healing. We want 35 steps to financial provision. It take you 4.66 years to get to this place. But if you do all 19, you're going to get there. But yet when I read the Bible over and over and over, it's so simple. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus. He never told people. Here's your 15 steps to peace. He just said, my peace. Here you have it. You need healing. You need sight. What do you need? I mean, one day Jesus, like this is so practical. They needed money to pay a temple tax. And he says, Peter, go catch a fish. Just one. And Peter's probably thinking like, this one? I mean, I used to catch fish for a living by the net fools. Like, Jesus, you remember that day at, told me to go cast my nets? Almost sunk my ship. You just want me to go get one? And Jesus is like, hey, all you need is one. See, sometimes we think God needs to do things in an abundance. He goes, no, you just need one thing. He says, Peter, go grab that fish, open its mouth, take the coin out, and go pay our bill. And guess what happens? Peter goes and catches the fish, takes the coin out, and goes and pays the tax bill. Simple. Not complicated. I don't think he told, hey, go push way out into the deep, find the biggest fish you can, because we need a big old coin. I think he just said, hey, there's some water down there. Go and catch the first fish. Pull the coin out. Simple. Wasn't complicated. We like to complicate things. See, I believe that Naaman's thought that he, thought that his, his healing was dependent upon Elijah's ability, Elijah's presence, maybe even Elisha's prayer. That's why he got perturbed when he would not come off, come downstairs and get off the couch. Because he thought, man, when this guy shows up, he's got my healing. 
when he prays over me and he waves his hands, that healing's going to happen. When he comes in and, and, and does whatever he needs to do, see, his hope or his faith was in Elisha showing up for him. And what Elijah needed Naaman to know was, I'm not the one to heal you. It's God who is the healer, not the person. And we get in trouble many times because we start looking to people for things that only God will provide to us. And we wonder why we get frustrated. We wonder why we get let down. We wonder where our joy has gone because now we're disappointed with people that will never satisfy us. Look, we need people in our life. But we can't be too dependent on people at the sake of our trust and our walk and our connection with the Lord. And that's easy to do. Man, I'm in four groups. I'm doing something every night of the week. I'm at church every time the doors is open. But when was the last time that you looked to the Lord? And all of those things are good. Oh, I serve and I give and I show up and I do all the extras like. But is that where your confidence is? Or are you going to the one that heals? Are you going to the one who provides? Are you going to the one who restores your joy and your salvation and your peace? Like, are you going to him? Are you looking to your efforts and maybe to other people to provide those things that only God can give? Because that was Naaman's problem. He thought when Elisha shows up, my healing's going to happen. And then he didn't like the delivery. And we do much the same things. See, I, I don't think that Naaman realized that it was actually, that his healing was actually dependent upon his obedience, not Elisha's. Look, I've been in church my entire life. Wasn't saved for a long time, but I grew up in church. And the thing that I can look back on is how many times that I started looking to people for what God promised. Well, God, I need that promotion. God, I need this. God, I need that. And I started looking for people to open up doors. And I started looking for, for, for people to do certain things. And I don't need people when I have God Almighty on my side. God uses people. There's no doubt about that. But if I look to people as my source, then I've just turned my back on God and said, okay, now I'm limited. And here's the problem. When I look to somebody, I'm limited to what they have and what they can do, what they know and who they know. But when I begin to look to the Lord, now I'm limited by his limitation. Well, how many of you know he's not limited? Naaman begins to, to find this. And so it's this, uh, it was really his, his healings dependent upon what? His obedience to the instructions given. You know, in a couple weeks, I think it's two weeks from today, we're going to kick off a series we talked about in church news called Hello. And it's all about helping you hear the voice of God. Because here's the thing, God speaks. And we're going to show you this throughout this series. We're going to be teaching it to you. We're going to be teaching it to your kids. We're going to be teaching it to your teenagers. We're going to be teaching it to cross the church. If I could tell you one thing that is the most important thing you could do as a believer, it's to learn how to recognize God's voice. Parents, let me help you. 
This is a convicting thought. We're going to dive into this a little bit. The best thing that you can do for your kids is not to answer all of their questions. Not to where you're the source of everything. So they always got to run to you. Mom, I got a question. Have you prayed about this yet? They want to complain. Well, what does the Bible say about this? And you turn, let me say it this way. You lead them to begin to hear from God. So as maybe as parents or influencers of those that are younger, you can't teach somebody what you don't do. And if you don't know how to recognize and hear the voice of God and to kind of cut through all the noise, and the truth is, is that we are inundated with information, with stuff. And so we need discernment so that we can understand and recognize God when he speaks. Because God does speak. But it's just like your cell phone. I don't have mine on me. You could call me and you know what I could do? I could silence it and just be like, I ain't got time for that call right now. Or I could just miss the call altogether. You were trying to contact me. But it's incumbent upon me to what? Hit accept and to take the phone call. God is always speaking. He's always wanting us to hear from him. And this is important. Why? Because you can't obey what you can't hear. And you're like, man, I've never heard the voice of God. I don't know if God even speaks to me. Okay, if you can't hear him, go read his word. Because God speaks through his word. And by the way, if God speaks to you, you can always back it up with a word in the scriptures. Always. What I have found is when I, when I get into God's word and I begin to, as the Bible instructs me. Let me say another word. As the Bible tells me to do, we've already established, I don't like to be told what to do, but the Bible tells me that I should hide God's word in my heart. Why? So that when I need it, the Holy Spirit can remind me of it. And I've had that happen a number of times. We're almost verbatim. The Holy Spirit will just, and it's just a portion of a scripture will pop up in my heart. And I'm like, that's the word of God. I have moved across the country based off of about six words. I don't know how many words it is. Depart for a land. Depart for a land. I will show you. Eight words. Simple obedience. I had lots of questions. God never spoke. He never answered. This is what I knew. Eight words. I moved across the country. Eight words. No job. No promise of a job. All I knew is that God would not speak to me until I moved. A little nerve-wracking. And I had tons of emotions and questions and feelings. And I was naming. I was ticked off. I was obedient, but I was not, I was not willingly obedient. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. I was going begrudgingly. And I remember I even had the thought, I have no clue what God is doing, but it sure better be good. Because if I walked away from this for something less, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real upset. I would be identifying with Naaman and in a rage. Eight words. But those eight words have led to the last over ten years of my life. And there have been other words that have come. There are times that, man, it's just like, 
Sometimes it's not even a word that's spoken. Sometimes you just know that you know. You can't explain it. That's how me and Derek got to Lake Charles. I didn't get a word from God. I had a moment of a knowing. My response was, I think I know the answer, but I'll pray about it. I mean, that fast I knew. Went home and I told Dara, hey, we got to pray about something. Told her some of the situation, blah, blah, and her response was, we're going, aren't we? If you're married, that's a good rule of thumb, by the way. You and your spouse need to be in agreement on big stuff. That's, you know, that's a big deal. Moving's a big deal. And I don't mean across the street. I mean, you need to be in agreement. And so we're going to do this really at the end part of June, right into the first week of July. But the whole goal is to help you begin to recognize the voice of God. Because again, if I'm going to tell you one thing, that's the one thing I would tell you. How do I be a successful Christian? Learn how to hear God's voice. Learn how to know when the Holy Spirit's kind of giving you the nudge. Pay attention to those things. See, here's what I know. Is there, most of us sitting in this room want to try hard. We want to be like Naaman. Like, just give me something hard to do. But hard with God doesn't work. Because it's a free gift and it's the grace of God. And everything that God wants to give you is included in his grace. It's his goodness. I love the, the, the account where Moses is talking to God in the Old Testament. It's at the burning bush, right? I mean, like, I've kind of made jokes many times. Like, for me to do certain things, I'm like, God would have to have a, literally a burning bush. Like, I'd have to see something spectacular to do that in obedience. But yet Moses has this moment. And in their exchange, he begins to kind of talk with God. And he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your goodness. And so really what Moses said, God, I want to see you like in all of your fullness. And I love the response because it really uh, reveals the nature of God. As he says, I'm going to hide you in the rock because you can't handle it. He says, but I will let my goodness pass before you. What Moses asked for was the power, the majesty, the, the, like the spectacular, oh my gosh. And God says, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to, as I go by you, you're going to see my backside and my backside, you're going to see my goodness. So God didn't want to be identified as the God of the miraculous. He actually wanted to be identified as the God of good. And so many times we, we want to see these things. There's, you know, and God does miraculous things. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But yet, I think we have to be rooted and grounded in the fact that he's good first. And so many times we try hard because we're not convinced that he's good. We think we have to do. We think we have to work. We have to apply more effort. We have to apply more energy. We just, you know, give me something hard. Just receive. Just take what I'm offering you. So I'll put it before you as a, a question, but... Could it be that we actually just need to learn how to rest in the finished work of Christ and quit working and just start resting that what Jesus did is enough? Jesus' body hung on a cross and his blood being shed for us is enough to pay the price of all, our, all, all of our sins, past, present, 
future. His blood's enough. And I just have to, what, put my faith and my trust and rely upon God's word that it's true. See, I think we put way too much stock in the price that we pay over the promise that God has made. But God says all of our effort is for what? It doesn't accomplish much. It might make us feel better in the moment, but yet we feel better in the moment with our effort, but yet we're still stuck in the place that we were. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says this. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? He says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. So we've already established nobody likes being told what to do and nobody likes to submit either. Why? Because there's this Allowing somebody else to take charge, if you will. The word submit literally means to come up under. And yet here it says that our obedience is better than all of our sacrifice. And submission is better. In other words, God, I don't have to understand it to take a step. God, you gave me eight words and I'm going to pack the truck. These are the things that, that honor God. And so this is and it, just a little phrase for you to be up on the screen. But it, I believe that we should be moved more or we should be moved by what God has said more than by what we see or by what we know. Why? Because what we see and what we know is temporary. God's word, the Bible says, is eternal. It's established. It's a fixed thing. In other words, it will never move. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will stand firm forever. It's unchangeable. It's unmoving. See, I believe that receiving from the Lord actually isn't hard. I believe it's actually easy. We make it hard. We complicate it. So here's the recipe, if you will. If you want to receive something from the Lord, it doesn't matter what that thing is today. Here's your recipe. Is that it's sincere faith with simple obedience will produce some powerful results. Sincere faith. In other words, get your motives right. Make sure that you're believing for the right things for the right reasons. And simple obedience. So many times I believe in the area when we're believing God for things, we forget to ask the question. We take our prayers to God and then we forget to ask him, God, what do you want me to do right now? I'll give you an example of this. In Psalms 91, there, I mean, you, you go and read Psalms 91. And yet the instruction is given is stand still. In other words, don't do anything. You'll be protected, but you're going to watch destruction on other people. But it's not coming near you. Well, what in, in our mind, like, oh, I got to prepare this. I got to do this. No, the Bible, the instruction was stand still and see the salvation of your God. Stand still. Oh, I got to do something. All right, busybody, settle down. Stand still. God doesn't need our assistance. He does need our, what? He needs our sincere faith and he needs our obedience. And so when we're believing God for something, doesn't matter what it is, any area of your life that you want to see God work, you need to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Here's the need. So 
what, what am I supposed to do? And the answer may be nothing. And you have to be okay with that. There may be an action step. God, I'm, I'm harboring bitterness towards this person. And God may say, go tell them you forgive them. Forgive them? I didn't do anything wrong. They should be. No, you need to go ask them for, for forgiveness for holding bitterness against them. I'm not doing that. Then you can stay bitter. And that bitterness will rot your soul. So, again, sincere faith with a step of obedience. We don't like the obedience part. Why? Because that's the hard part. And usually the instruction is simple. The doing of it is not. But when I have sincere faith with some simple obedience, it will produce some powerful things in our lives. In Psalms 37, verse 3 through 5 here, one translation says it this way, and this is one of those that kind of echoes because I've learned it in a certain translation of the Scriptures, but I'm going to read you out of the Passion here in just a moment. But it says that we're, it gives us, uh, it says to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So I would say it like this. If I'm, if I'm writing the Bible in my language is that we need to quit drinking from fountains that never satisfy. I will. Thank you. Is that we got to quit drinking from fountains that never satisfy. We're looking for people to satisfy our soul. They, they can't. It's impossible. I love my wife. We've been together for almost 24 years. Now dating, married, all that stuff. She cannot fulfill me. As much as I love her, as much as she's wonderful, as much as she's a God sent to my life, there's a part of me that she will never fulfill. My kids will never fulfill me, and it's an unfair burden for me to put that on them. Or any other human. Because they're not perfect, just as I'm not perfect. And so I've got to go to the fountain that actually fulfills. Just as it was with Naaman, he had to go to the place where his provision was, which was in a dirty river that he didn't like and didn't understand. But yet the provision for his healing was there. And the wisdom from Scripture says, if I'll delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. If I'll delight myself in the Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll come in line with what he desires in my life. Doesn't mean that things will, will be perfect. Doesn't mean any of those things. But it just means that, hey, my focus is in the right place. The Passion Translation says this. says to keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. It says fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure. It says that we are to feast on his faithfulness. In other words, go to the right fountain to drink. Remind yourself of how good God has been to you. Because your past goodness of God is an indicator that God will continue to be good to you in the future. It says, make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. It says, give God um, the right to direct your life, so submit your life unto him. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find out that he pulled it off perfectly. I love that. If I'll just 
commit myself to the Lord, if I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, He's my priority, my connection with Him. Then when I, I delight myself, He's going he's to bring the things into my life and they're going to be a blessing and not a curse. In other words, when God brings blessing into your life, there aren't strings attached that we didn't know about. No, it's a blessing. It's good. I didn't have time to read it today, but in James chapter 1, it talks about that the good and perfect things come from above. Is that God doesn't do anything. Says, actually, don't be fooled. Don't be misled. Everything good and perfect comes from Him. That's God's promise to you. That's God's promise to me. And so today, I, I, I really... I want to encourage you. And I want to ask you that question that I started with, which is, what do you want? What are you actively believing God for? Like, what's the need in your life? And and are you taking it to him? But even before that need, are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Like, are you you receiving from him the life that he has for you? Because that's his desire. And so this morning, I want to pray over you. That the Holy Spirit's going to help you. Because look, there's a lot of issues and things going on in this room. With people, there's always stuff. I've got problems. You've got problems. I've got things I can't figure out. Just like you got things you can't figure out. But I know the one who can help me figure it out. And I know the one who can give me the grace that I need. But I've got to turn to him. And look to him. And I've got to connect with him. So I want to encourage you, even this week, Friday, Sunday. I mean, you know, I I got stuff going on on Friday. Most likely, it could wait. Just come. And and look, you're not coming, like I said earlier, you're not coming to hear from Pastor Paul necessarily. The Lord may speak something through him to you. But you're coming to connect with the Lord. You're coming just to put yourself in a place to say, God, I need to get into your presence. Say, well, how do I drink from the well of God? Like, that's kind of vague. You got to get into his presence. And as you get into his presence, he begins to do what only he can do. And so I want to pray this morning just over you. We'll have our prayer partners up here in just a few moments. And if you're here and, hey, you're, you need prayer for anything. You may be here and you need salvation. You need to come back into fellowship with the Lord. They would love the opportunity to pray with you personally. But I just want to pray over you today that the Holy Spirit is just going to come alongside of you. Even this week, even today. And just begin to stir up some things on the inside of you. So Father, I just thank you right now. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that it's alive on the inside of us. Father, I thank you that your word says that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Father, that you're a God who speaks, you're a God who works, you're a God who moves on our behalf because you're good. So Father, I ask that even today and this week, Father, that you would show your goodness in our lives. Father, that your wisdom would come by the help and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. Father, I thank you for who you are. Father, you are such a good, loving, incredible Father. So, Father, I thank you that that you're teaching us how to really trust and and surrender to you and, and to your presence in our life. Father, that we could be fulfilled by you in a way that no one else and nothing else ever can. So Father, we just lift up our hearts to you this morning. 
Father, our prayer is, Lord, come and have your way in me. Do that which only you can do in me, that I would experience all that you have for me. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name.